Hello, and welcome to the Hunting Science Podcast, where we talk about the science of hunting. I'm your host, Mark Lindbergh. Our goal for this podcast is to educate listeners about the how and why things work the way they do in hunting in the outdoor world. All right, well, um, welcome to uh, another episode of the Hunting Science Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Peggy Kuiper about um, a number of topics, but we're going to be mostly focused on this concept of grit. I think of, uh, every time I think of that word, I think of old John Wayne movies and True Grit, what one of them was was uh, the title of. But what we're really talking about here is grit and hunters. And I think all of you probably know someone, or maybe you think you're of yourself this way, just that person that Maybe you look at physically and think, ah, they're probably not capable of getting that 90 pound pack with meat up the mountain, but um, they just have a characteristic that is just, um, you can't see externally maybe. And uh, maybe it's mental, maybe it's internal, physiological, but it's just something that they possess that just allows them to be a little tougher than others. And I'll be, Really anxious. I'm really anxious to hear what Peggy has to say about um, grit and her work on that topic. But before we dive into that, I want to let uh, Peggy introduce herself. I, I met Peggy about a year ago now um, because of our mutual interest in bringing university-based education about hunting and hunters um, uh, developing that. And she's going to talk about some of those efforts today we met about a year ago and it immediately became clear to me that this is this is a person that has her shit together and someone you want to work with and i'm i've been happy to do that we um we along with uh, another faculty member have successfully um got approval to develop a class this spring uh spring 2021 called hunology where we're going to explore the uh business science and philosophy of hunting and to my knowledge it's one of the first in the nation to be able to bring that type of education to the university so with that as background i want to let peggy give her resume both from the standpoint of um her uh, academic credentials but her hunting credentials which i think you'll be impressed with so peggy from upper peninsula of michigan we're talking today so since uh, she's down there um go ahead Thanks, uh, thanks for the introduction, Mark. Um, yeah, so I am Dr. Peggy Kuiper. Peggy is perfectly fine, though. Um, I am a faculty in the School of Management at University of Alaska Fairbanks. I've been there uh, three years, going on my fourth, and just sorry, received tenure, which is super exciting. So I'm uh, officially a, an associate professor within the School of Management um, in Business Administration. But I'm also uh, the director of the Sport and Recreation Business Program, um, which to me is total dream job. Couldn't ask for a better position because I get to marry um, my interest in traditional sports, like basketball in particular, um, where I spent 10 years working in the sports industry, and uh, my favorite hobbies, which are hunting and fishing and just being outside. Uh, so academic background, um, yeah, I have a PhD in sport management uh, with concentrations in business and psychometrics, which is where the grit thing comes in, and I'll explain that in a bit, um, an MBA, and then undergrads in mathematics, marketing, and management. So that's the academic background, um, brief professional background. I spent about 10 years working in the sports industry, mainly in marketing and event management, um, and particularly I spent some time in the NBA's minor league system as the director of uh, business management for the New Mexico Thunderbirds. Um, spent about three years working in sports tourism, booking sports events for the city of Albuquerque, and then the same thing for Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and I would say, oh, and I started out college uh, coaching in college. Uh, so that's pretty much the gist of it. I came to UAF from Northwood University, where I was a department chair in sport management, sport and entertainment management, sorry, um, prior to being at UAF. So super stoked to be on the podcast today and to talk a bit about um, our program and some of the research that we've been doing with grit and hunter ethics and emotional intelligence. No, cool. That sounds. That does sound like a dream job. I uh, 
it, that must have been a lot of fun uh, coming up through the ranks like that. You have some neat experiences. What's your uh, what's your hunting background like? Oh, the hunting, the hunting. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot about. That. No, no. Um, I just made that. I totally forgot about, and I feel my life revolves around which hunting season it is. Um, so I grew up in uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where I'm at right now. Um, my dad owned a bow shop, an archery shop, growing up. Um, before my time, though, and so my family is uh, a whole. Essentially, we're have a long history. We have a long history of bow hunting. Um, and like one cool thing is, like when my dad passed away, we found a picture, a couple pictures of him on spread there, which was pretty cool. Um, but my hunting background is, I pretty much hunt and fish just about anything and everything. I prefer bow hunting for big game, um, just because I feel like it's. Uh, it's, it's a, I'm not going to say more skill. There's definitely skills that you need with rifle and shotgun as well, but there's uh, an intimacy, I guess you could say, with the hunt when you're a bow hunter. And, um, it, it, you know, it, uh, I guess, attaches me to how I grew up uh, more than anything. Uh, but I do waterfall hunts. I uh, up on game hunt a lot with my dog, Boone. He's a uh, Labrador. So uh, he's turned from a waterfall dog into a ptarmigan and grouse dog in Alaska, <laughs> uh, which is kind of funny because he's definitely a water dog, but he does he does fine in the upland world. But, um, yeah, shot three moose uh, solo with my bow, which is kind of exciting. Uh, shot numerous deer, uh, turkeys, yeah, waterfowl, you name it, just about everything. Turkeys so with a bow? No, no turkeys with a bow. Oh, I okay. Don't, uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I thought about it, and we tried it the one year, um, but sitting in a blind uh, just doesn't, it's not exciting for me, and I love, uh, I just love shotgun hunting with uh, for turkeys, because you, you're just a little bit more mobile, and I don't know, uh, I'm pretty particular with how I hunt turkeys, I don't mind hunting up the shotgun, so. Neat, yeah, I, I have a friend in Oklahoma that hunts turkeys with a bow, and it's on his own property, and got chatting with him a few years ago and it's it sounds pretty tough but it's uh and not to get into details but it's it's not intuitive where you shoot them it's uh it's different than you think um if, of course with a shotgun you shoot them in the head but with a bow you gotta hit them in the center of the body basically and it's right uh, yeah yeah the, the body shot or they have those gobbler guillotine uh broadheads it'll take a turkey's head off right and, uh, yeah i don't know it for me i just like shooting them with shotgun it's fun and exciting it's like moose hunting but with a bird so yeah so, so i assume your dad introduced you to hunting then when did you start what age uh my dad yeah my dad and my mom did my mom was a huge uh hunter as well and oh i was just cleaning out our shed and i wanted to say i got my first bow when i was like six or eight somewhere in there well wow. um so my whole life essentially has been around and uh, hunting and that sort of thing. My brother has always hunted a bit more than um, I have, or he did when we were younger. And because I was so ingrained in basketball that there was definitely about a 10, 10 year period or so where I spent a, a lot more time around sports than I did in the outdoors. And it was just kind of the path that I took at that time. So. That, that is so cool. I, I don't know of many people that grew up with both parents hunting. Um, especially for that generation, although you're a little younger generation than me, but you know, my mother had a very traditional role in our life and, uh, you know, beyond packing our lunch for the day's hunt, you know, she never even considered going on the hunt. So that's pretty neat experience to have that. Yeah. It was kind of to add a little bit to that. My, uh, my mom was always my fishing partner growing up and she was like, significantly better fisherman than my dad and so my brother was when we were little kids would cry because he'd have to fish with her dad knowing that he wasn't going to catch as many fish um and then <laughs> my mom was uh she was a, a bow hunter and i think was one of the first women in michigan to shoot a um, black bear with a compound bow um, which is pretty cool when compounds came out and uh, there's a long history of it in our family but you know at age 62, my mom packed out an entire moose with my brother. So uh, she was definitely not the typical woman, I would say, in regards to traditional gender roles. Wow, that is really yeah. neat. Like, I didn't know all this history. That's, I, I've, What I knew about you was fascinating, but this is even more fascinating. That's cool. I, As you know, I have a son and a daughter, and I typically don't hunt together with them because they're so competitive. 
and I won't say who, but one of them is better at <laughs> shooting and hunting than the other. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the sibling rivalry is a little too much to hunt them together. Most of the time there, there are some exceptions, but, um, yeah, that's, that's neat. That background. It, I don't know if you've ever read the, um, the book, the river Y by David Jaden's Duncan, but it's, uh, it comes to mind. Yeah. So it's a kid growing up in a family where the dad is an, uh, uh, adamant, ardent, uh, fly fisherman. And his mother is a bait, uh, she fishes with bait. And um, it's sort of this um, debate about life and fishing uh, as as portrayed by, or portrayed, yeah, by the dad and the mother. And the kid is torn between these life decisions of fly fishing versus bait fishing. And it's, it's really well done. Um, so maybe you probably could relate to that book, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yep. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Sure. The River Y, you said? The River Y, yep. Okay. Yep. yep. Um, so that's great. That's really neat background. And um, I'm so pleased that I have a chance to talk to you more about um, that in the future. And um, one thing before, again, before we get into grid is that, I, as I mentioned, Peggy and I have found mutual interest in trying to bring education to the university system about hunting and hunters. And um, I was hoping Peggy could take a few minutes to describe her vision for what she's developing. And we have an important meeting about this next week, um, something we're tentatively referring to the Hunting Institute. And maybe maybe you could tell listeners about what, what you think that looks like and how the university might have a role in the future of hunting education. Sure. I think um, that will, as Mark as you said, as Mark said, um, there's been three of us in the discussions early on, as well as some uh, folks around all around campus, actually, that have been in the discussions from, you know, our dean and school management to director of uh, our eCampus, which is our online learning platform. And there's been a lot of enthusiasm about bringing in some aspects of hunting into our program. Um, and I'm extremely passionate about it. I, I think I speak for Mark and um, our other faculty member, Eduardo, as well in that all of us share this really great interest in hunting and it's a huge part of our life. Um, and I think that goes for many Alaskans um, and folks all around the country and around the world that hunting is part of who we are as humans for some of us. Um, and I think that the there's an opportunity to bring uh, hunting or, or meld hunting into education that, I, that doesn't exist currently. There's a couple programs in the country that do a little bit about hunting, but it's more the, um, the guiding um, and organize—I uh, guess you could say like not like sport shooting and, and ranch side of things. I guess that's probably the the best way to put it. Um, but there's not a lot around you know hunting for subsistence or hunting uh, you know as a as a lifestyle. And I think that this is super relevant right now, in particular in regards to COVID. Um, and you see the you know the talk about you know issues in the supply chain or, or even getting your own you know meat or whatever it is, but I, I think there's a huge, huge opportunity to bring hunting into education. So what we've talked about is developing a hunting institute or center that's focused on different aspects of hunting, um, and the three of us in, in particular bring in different expert areas of expertise. So my expertise would be around the, the business field and helping somebody that wants to maybe be a big game guide or open their own outfitting business or whatever it might be, or work in an organization like Cabela's you know, helping them figure out how to navigate the outdoor industry on the business side, whereas, you know, Mark is an expert in biology and all things natural, I'll say, um, <laughs> which is not in my realm, uh, which is why I'm not going to go into tricky detail on that. And um, and then Eduardo is on the philosophical side of things, because often when we're hunters um, or you identify as a hunter, there's, there's obviously people that don't hunt. And so understanding, and, and again, this goes back to being super relevant, particularly right now with so many social injustices and so many, uh, just a lack of understanding of other people. I think that having those open conversations and understanding both sides is important. I think that's where Eduardo can really shed a lot of light and, and bring his expertise as a philosopher um, into this. So. Um, that's the, the quick and dirty version, but we hope to to have some aspect of, uh, like I said, like a center or an institute. Um, and the first one of the first steps that we're taking, besides Mark's podcast, but, um, which obviously I'm currently on, 
But the, the other next step that we're taking is developing a course called Huntology, which is the, the science, business, and philosophy of hunting. Um, and we're excited to be offering that to students that would be part of our degree program within the sport recreation business degree, but it would also hopefully ideally do be cross-listed with philosophy and um, and biology. But the, those are uh, steps to take down the road. So, yeah. No, stay tuned. I'm very excited about this, and Peggy is incredible. Um, imagination to develop this vision. I, I give you 100% credit for the, uh, the the original ideas for this. So as, as she mentioned, the podcast, we hope to have as a voice for this institute as it develops. And so stay tuned. One thing we'd hoped to do this spring was to sort of have a unveiling party for this idea through a, a summit that was canceled for a variety of reasons. But hopefully next spring 2021 we can start to consider things like that and uh make this more real as we go forward yeah the 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 event side of things there was an intent of doing a spring event and because of like mark said there is reason and we canceled it and it looked like we would have been canceling it regardless because of covid um there's for us anyways, we think that there's a big opportunity to provide a, a platform that hopefully becomes a national platform, but particularly um, to start out in a state of, of somebody that wants to get into hunting or even the expert hunter wants to learn from, you know, an expert in the field on nutrition in the backcountry or whatever it might be that we provide this platform where they can learn to become, you know, maybe a, maybe a better shot or maybe know how to clean animals better or maybe become you know, more in tune with the mental aspect, i.e. grit, or, you know, maybe understand conservation more, whatever it might be, but offering these different interdisciplinary uh, learning opportunities is the goal of, of the event and essentially the goal of the, the Hunting Institute or Center, I guess you could say. So. No, that's, we're really excited about it. I, 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 Listeners, if you think this is a good idea and have some other ideas of how we might develop this, please um, give us feedback on the podcast and we um we monitor those comments and would welcome input from around the nation of this kind of idea. To our knowledge, this is uh, the first attempt to do it at this level at a university setting, and we think an appropriate uh, setting for this type of uh, education effort. So, yeah, we we'd love to hear your comments. Yeah, I'll I'll echo that and say, listeners, if you're also an expert in the field, we love collaboration too. So, if you have ideas. So come our way. We'll take them. <laughs> yeah, definitely, for sure. And people to interview for the podcast, too. Um, I have a fairly good list that I continue to work from. And um, But if you have other folks that you think we should be talking to about these type of ideas, uh, let us know. We'd love to chat with some folks about related ideas. Okay, so uh, maybe that's a good chance to transition into this more detailed discussion of this concept of grit. We brought this up in a previous, uh, briefly in a previously episode on the exercise physiology of backcountry hunting where, wow, we got people burning 4,000 calories a day on those hunts and going through some fairly extreme conditions and and we just brushed on it there. But um, Peggy has been researching this um, in some detail, and I want to give her a chance to uh, talk about those results. And I would open it with just asking her to define what grit is. Um, it's a fairly generic term, but um, maybe maybe we could start there and just see where it goes. Sure. So, um, yeah, super cool on the backcountry hunts, by the way. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to reveal this, but I was one of the participants in that study. Oh, <laughs> you were? Okay. Um, yeah, so that was exciting and if it wasn't for grit i don't know if we would have made it through the 42 miles that we ended up walking and 81 miles that we ended up rafting on a sheep hunt so wow. um, there's that but um that that's definitely a good lead into grit and i think uh, as mark said it's a, definitely a generic term at times um, where people say hey that person has grit um you know but what is grit and um there was a researcher angela duckworth who developed a psychometric scale, which is essentially like a, just a measure, right, a survey that is highly valid, highly reliable, meaning that it can be replicated and is measuring what it's said to be measuring. 
um, that looks at your essentially ability to accomplish a goal. That's what grit is, right? And it's made up of two components, uh, passion and perseverance. So your consistency of effort and then also your, um, sorry, consistency of effort and then also um, your consistency of interest. So uh, there's these two sub-components within, within grit, the measure itself called passion and, and perseverance. And so that's, that's essentially how she measures it um, if you, from a technical standpoint. There is some um, controversy around, not controversy, but some disagreement in the scale. And that's uh, disagreement of is grit, you know, a uh, indicator or not an indicator. Is it, is it its own measure versus like conscientiousness, you know, or, uh, you know, hardy, hardiness or whatever it might be. Is it any different from those? And um, there's kind of a, school of thought or school of people that say yes it is and others say that no it highly correlates but the general premise behind it is that there is a, a measure that you can use to see how uh, essentially gritty you are so and you hmm. gritty being the ability to accomplish a goal so that's interesting um i, I just uh, a little bit of a uh, digression here but i one of the qualities i look for in graduate students before i recruit them work is perseverance because most graduate students don't realize what an endurance event graduate school is and i think i'm unusual in that sense that most people i don't know look at raw intelligence or other type of academic um, measures and i i have to say i've been highly successful in uh, the students i work with in terms of them completing their degrees i've now I've just finished my 20th graduate student and of the 21 that started with me. So I, I'm pretty proud of that, but I, th I think it's mostly because I'm careful about who I work with and look at that quality. So it's interesting. It, it, it appears here in uh, uh, the grit measure too. So that's funny, that's funny that you say that because Duckworth, how she came up with the measure, but you're onto something, Mark. You should have came up with this idea like 20 years ago or 15 years ago um, or developed a scale, but she, um, or you probably been probably had that theory for a while, but the the reason or how she, the original study that she applied the method and the scale to was with West Point graduates, um, in that this scale was the number one predictor of whether or not somebody would finish and complete West Point. Um, and it wasn't GPA, it wasn't physical fitness, it wasn't, um, you know, SAT scores, ACT scores, whatever it was, it was the number one indicator as to whether or not a cadet would finish. Um, finish at West Point, and so it's kind of, kind of interesting that you say that, that maybe it's uh, a formal thing for faculty or, or even anybody that's in for the long haul, maybe it's a job, is to, to implement the grit measure on hiring, obviously not, uh, you know, hiring just based on grit, that wouldn't be wise, but it would give you an indicator of how people approach things. That's neat. Uh, you know, I didn't know that. I don't, I'm not familiar with the details of the study. I, I'll just add to that of all my graduates, um, all of them are professionally employed as well and have persevered to that level. Some of them have elected to not continue in the profession and went on to other things. Um, but initially, at least, all of them were employed. So they successfully completed a degree and found professional employment in that in that, uh, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's uh, I. I don't take credit for that, other than being careful about who I decide to work with, and that that uh, hearing the results of that study reinforces that view of selecting based on that those kind of criteria. But, right. but how do you measure this, though? I mean, you know, I'm I'm envisioning simple-minded envisioning a this survey where you ask somebody are you passionate? And they say, yeah, really. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, how do you get an honest assessment of, of their passion sure. and perseverance? Yeah, this is, um, I think, if I, I think I mentioned this, but part of my PhD is in psychometrics, which is psychological measures. And any measure that you have that's survey-based, um, you're essentially looking at and the way that you ensure, so I guess the big digress there, you measure grit by a survey, just like you said. So it's a short scale grit survey, which is uh, eight questions. It's been, uh, yeah, eight questions. And part that measure passion, part that measure perseverance. And so if, if you've ever taken a survey, which I'm sure most of the listeners have, 
Um, and it's a survey that measures anything that's psychological based, like a personality test, like that. You know, Myers Briggs is the first uh, prime example of that, or anything that's saying it's measuring something specific that is um, what would you say a latent construct, meaning you can't uh, you can't directly measure it. So, like in the science field and uh, in Mars field, you're measuring you know pretty hard constructs. If you're you know if you're measuring something on a I'll say a vertebrae because you were talking about vertebrates earlier. Uh, you know, maybe you're measuring wing wing length. That is a definitive measure, right? Whereas psychological measures are latent, and so the meaning you can't just like you know input a or you know take a ruler out or a beaker or whatever it is. Um, and go ahead and laugh if you're a scientist listening to my uh, mumbling through uh, scientific measurements. <laughs> but the um, yeah, the way that you make sure that it's valid and reliable is you have people take the test. Numerous there's numerous tests of reliability, whether uh, test retest. Um, or, you know, different ways to measure the reliability of a measure. And then there's also the validity aspect where you're asked a, a question that's similar. So, like, on the passion side of things, they're going to ask you, you know, do you, uh, you know, I consistently stick with a goal that I set. And then they'll ask that same question three other times, but differently worded so that they uh, they essentially highly correlate on each other. And if they don't, then they, you know, what you would do as a researcher is, is say that this person probably, there's probably some type of uh, uh, self-report errors here, um, and that this is not a, you know, valid, it's, it's not the measure that's valid, but the, the result, that result itself is probably not valid. And so um, that's probably a, a super long-winded, nerdy answer, but essentially it's asking the same or similar question multiple times to ensure that that person really says what they mean. And that's, um, that's part of the, the validity aspect of it. Huh. So. so is it purely the reliability? Sorry, validity. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's fine. Um, so is it purely a mental condition then a state of mind or is there a, a, a physical component to it? Is, does a person have to have physical capabilities to possess grit? No, so grit is solely a psychological measure. So they, it is, there is no physical um, component. I think, you know, people will associate, in hunting, people will associate, you know, if somebody's in better shape, they might be grittier. But that's not necessarily the case. And I, I say that because I think all of us that are, are listening, if you're an avid hunter or somebody that spends time in the outdoors, um, I don't know about you, but I can think of numerous people that have spent time with in the backcountry that are like, oh, yeah, they look like they're in, in in great physical shape, but mentally they, you know, they not fail, but mentally they check out or they won't accomplish their goal or they, you know, um, give up too early. And that's it's solely a psychological measure. It's your, your willingness to persevere and your passion to persevere to accomplish a goal. And so, you know, physical component, you could argue that, you know, if somebody's training for a hunt or something like that, they might have more grit, but uh, there is no, no, tied to this in, in this particular measure. So. That's fascinating. There's a story that comes to mind as you're talking about this that um, it was actually another podcast about um, this woman who had a, um, a, a, well, I don't know if it was a disease, but some type of illness that resulted in memory loss for her. And she was um, one of her outlets for dealing with this this sickness was she would exercise and that led to a passion for uh, participating in ultra sports but I know what you're talking about I yeah. actually heard yeah and yeah. She, she simply like kind of forgets um, well she she became incredibly yeah. accomplished because she had forgotten how far she had run um, right. and so it, it, you know in a marathon she wasn't thinking she was at mile 20 she was thinking Oh, I just ran three miles. I only remember running three miles, so I feel fine. So mentally, right. she was able to, um, well, convince herself that she had only run three, not twenty miles. Right. Right. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I found that fascinating. Yeah, I can't remember her name. That was on that. Um, oh shoot, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the podcast now. I guess it wasn't a podcast. It was an NPR. Um, what is that? Radio Lab. It's called. Yeah. Yep. It was a fascinating yeah. story. Um, yeah, I heard her story in a book. I want to say it was one of, like maybe Born to Run or one of the ultra running books. So, okay. Yep. So who's an who's along that line? Who's an example that 
listeners might be familiar with that you would point to is even if you haven't measured their grit with some test that you would just say, wow, that's a person that has grit. What is there someone that jumps to mind for you? Um, I think that, I think all of us could probably point to somebody that's uh, passed, you know, uh, that has grit, that's going to persevere through through hardship. Um, off the top of my head, like in the hunting industry, I think my guess, and I'm not a huge, I really don't follow many personalities in the hunting industry, um, and that's a whole other story, but I would think somebody like Cameron Haynes uh, has a lot of uh, a lot of grit, a lot of passion, a lot of perseverance um, into accomplishing a goal. Um, that would probably be a really good a good example. I, I instantly think that nobody would know this, but my brother, he's, um, call it grit, call it hard-headedness. Um, he is both passionate and uh, perseverant at accomplishing the goal when it comes to um, hunting. And I'll give an example of what they did last year. They walked in five miles off the Hall Road and uh, the Hall Road being the road to Prudhoe Bay. Also walked in on foot, uh, dragging a couple of rafts, and were able to shoot two moose and get them out of there. And if it wasn't for his love, I know his two buddies, uh, if they're listening, sorry guys, uh, but the truth is if Billy wasn't leading that, uh, lack of a better word, shit show, uh, I don't think it would have been accomplished. So, um, I, I think it's been a story, I think it's great, but, it's, but somebody that people might be familiar with is somebody like Cameron Haynes, um, Jackie Robinson in the sports world would be a great example of, um, you know, having grit and being able to persevere through hardship uh, and be able to have the passion to still want to play baseball after all the, you know, crap that he was thrown his way and to deal with any of uh, the, uh, obviously, prejudice side of things is another another great example. Yeah, that, that actually, I hadn't thought about that one, but that is completely... Um, a mental state of overcoming that. I mean, he was as physically capable as anyone else, as are most professional athletes, but many would have been defeated mentally under those circumstances. Right, right. Yep, without grit. Um, that's interesting you bring it up, too, is Peggy knows she's talked with my daughter who's trying to find her way into collegiate athletics and um, uh, mostly in softball, but it's... it's um, she draws strength from Jackie Robinson's story. In fact, has a number that is one different than his as a as a way of motivating her. She always picks forty three. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting example. Um, I, yeah, I, and I think of wartime examples. I guess just the stories that are out there. And you and I were recently just talking about um, one story that I just recently learned about about a. Norwegian soldier who persevered through insane conditions, uh, swimming across fjords, frozen fjords, and or almost frozen fjords, and uh, cutting a toe off that had become uh, frostbitten and gangrene, and on his own, and yeah, just amazing story. It's uh, "We Die Alone" is the name of the book. I think I mentioned it to you, and uh, yeah. the Twelfth Man was the movie I just watched, and yeah, it just. And I don't know physically what that individual looked like, um, but it's just mentally being able to do that. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. When I think of the, um, you get what, the 81 days below zero, the book about the World War II pilot that crashed outside on the Yukon Charlie and then ends up you know, spending 80, 81 days in, in Alaska in the that country. He had to have had grit to keep on moving, to not give up. And he had some luck, I forget his name, in finding, you know, the, the trapper's cabin with the cash and stuff like that, but hard telling who would have given up if they had been in his same, his same shoes. So. Yeah. So can we develop this? Is this something we're born with? Is it based on our experiences? I mean, I'd like to be tougher. Um, can I, can I uh, do some exercises, mental exercises to help <laughs> with that? Or Yeah, I think it's, um, so we, um, in, there's, study, and I don't know if you want me to talk, talk to that. Yeah, grit can be developed. And okay. Um, yeah. The grit can definitely be developed, like I said, as a mental construct. It's a lot of your mindset. I think a, a lot of that can be developed through mindfulness. Um, and there's a ton of resources out there in regards to mindfulness, but setting a goal and sticking to it. Um, the one component though, of grit that I don't know in, in particular that can be developed, that's the persevering aspect of it. The passion side of it, I, um, I think, and this will 
draw on the athletic side of things, and probably for some of us, for some of you that are listeners as well, there's a lot of people that love to do something, um, but they aren't perseverant, and vice versa. There's maybe people that are really perseverant, but they really don't love it. And so true grit is when you have both the passion towards something, that you love it, um, but you also want to persevere and accomplish that goal no matter what. And so what we, and I'll kind of digress into or, or move into what we found in the study, and I've seen this, so we've done three different studies on, on grit and how it impacts uh, ethical decision-making, but also grit um, or, or emotional intelligence and how it impacts ethical decision-making. And so the grit component the, the scale itself can actually be broken down into passion and perseverance. And so in our research that we just did, I get excited about this, so I apologize if I'm talking really fast. Uh, what we found was that a person, um, one of the analysis that we did, or analysis that we did, was looking at somebody's um, ethical, or sorry, ethical decision-making was we looked at emotional intelligence and who uh, or what components can play into uh, ethical decision-making in the backcountry. And then the the other one was looking at your your harvest and stuff, is what, how we measured uh, accomplishing a goal in hunting. And, and there's obviously flaws with this because my goal when I'm out hunting isn't always harvest. I like to harvest me and all this more to have a good and safe hunt. Um, and so there's obviously flaw in regards to how you measure hunting success. But what we found in regards to hunter harvest was that what was statistically significant was not the full grit measure. It was perseverance. So when we broke it out, when I ran the regression analysis, grit did not come up as an indicator. Um, whereas when I broke down the scale into the two different components, um, it came up as perseverance was the indi- an indicator, whereas passion was not. And so this is probably relevant to folks in the backcountry, and I, I think a lot of people can attest to this, that um, you can think of either yourself or others that you're like, man, they were just relentless. They didn't give up and they got the got the deer, the moose, or the caribou, or the, you know, whatever were trapping and they got the animal on the ninth day or in the ninth hour, whatever it is, in the ninth hour, sorry. Um, and that's, I think, super interesting from a grit, grit perspective on what we found. And on the emotional intelligence uh, aspect, we found that emotional intelligence does greatly impact somebody's ability to make ethical decisions in the backcountry, um, and specifically with hunting. And uh, the two components within the emotional intelligence scale that we found uh, was that the, your use of emotions and your ability to regulate your emotions, kind of similar to the grit scale, both indicated whether or not somebody self-identified as making more ethical decisions um, in the, in the backcountry. The ethical decisions, we had a list of, of 12, you know, like I'll shoot at a running animal, I... Uh, will litter in the backcountry and that sort of thing. And so super fascinating. Um, in the last, the last fascinating aspect of what I found in the study is did four different kind of hypotheses was that people that self-identify as trophy hunting also self-identified as making less ethical decisions in the backcountry, which was statistically significant. And people that identified as hunting for food self-identified again, which obviously there's self-report um, biases that we have to uh, account for. Uh, identified as making more ethical decisions in the, um, while hunting. And so that's kind of the cool stuff that we found, I guess. That was a long-winded answer. Sorry. No, no, that's great. We're going to have to post those along with the podcast in that additional resources section. I think people would uh, want to dive into those details more. We'll make sure they're available. It's yeah. uh, it's you couldn't script this any better. I, I'm not lying about this. While we were just talking, while you were just talking, my son is returning from um, his his morning backpacking preparation for a sheep hunt. It's June here in Alaska, and uh, we're going on a youth sheep hunt in August. We've chartered, and I've been trying to convince him of the the importance of physical preparation for the hunt. And he's he's passionate about it, and he has good perseverance. He was just coming down our yard, our bank in our yard, trying to shed his 25-pound pack that he's up to now. He's 13. And um, yeah. it wasn't looking like he had a whole lot of passion going on at the end of his hike this morning. But um, hopefully that'll – or perseverance, maybe. But, uh, yeah, we'll see if he's speaking to me still this morning. But um, – Anyways, uh, along that line, um, so we talked in the exercise physiology of backcountry hunting about physical preparation for those type of hunts then. So um, 
what can we add to that? The mental preparation, um, how, how can we, what would you recommend beyond that physical part is that, so I send my son out hiking and well, he sends himself on it. I don't want to make it sound like it's a, a disciplinary action here, but um, just tell him he's got to be ready. And his dad's an old man and I need all the help I can get. So, uh, right, um, right. but is there other ways I could work with him on the mental parts or things you would recommend? Or Yeah, I, <laughs> I hate to get too into the mental side of things. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but... I think the general the general premise behind any kind of um, mental toughness or grit or whatever you want to call it is going to um, is your your ability to push through something. And I, I think the way that you can train for that is using different mindfulness and like meditation techniques huh. and specifically um, it, self awareness. I think is a major component to that too. And there's a ton a ton of resources out there, whether it's apps or, you know, formal training or whatever it is. And you see it in the sports world in particular, right, with sports psychologists, that, you know, uh, visualization, putting yourself out there. And, like, on a sheep hunt in particular, I think of, um, I kind of uh, set this mindset that, uh, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable, uh, whether it's because the grizzly bear is near you, which we had a couple, you know, years ago, I ended up shooting this grizzly bear and passing on a huge sheep. Uh, because we knew we couldn't get it out of there, but it's the, um, there's also the, the weather component, right? That you might be uncomfortable because of weather. And so just committing to like, you understand you're not going to change that scenario and it's committing to like, I can make it through this. Um, but the, the trick that I play in my mind is like, well, we could be getting shot at right now. It could be worse. Or like, usually I'm like, well, there could be a bear, but I don't want to choose myself. So, um, you try to like, think of like, how could this scenario be worse and I think it's, it's figuring out what mental tools you have in your toolbox uh, whether you want to call it I know there's like David Goggins he talks about like the he's the Navy SEAL that's known for like his mental toughness and talks about your his, you know cookie jar that he reaches into and remembers a good time um, of you know it could be worse I think that's a that's something that I've leaned heavily on it's like well it could be could be worse and I think of like some of the stuff that I've gone through in my life, and I think a lot of people can, you know, everybody's gone through some type of hardship, and I'll uh, share this with the listeners, right, right, wrong, or indifferent, it's not something I'm proud of, but in 2014, I shot my foot, and so I think of, like, well, I could have shot my foot off, or I could be sitting in a hospital bed right now, and that's where I always, like, lean to, of, like, hey, I could be somewhere completely else, other than the mountains right now, and so figuring out what it is that when you get down, because you will in the backcountry, I mean, there's no especially on a sheep hunt, there's going to be a time when, you know, uh, Mark, your son wants to kill you, you know, wants to kill you, not literally, but like, yeah. you know, your personalities are going to clash um, or you're, you know, somebody's going to be down and they need a picking up and you need to have those tools ready um, for this is how I'm going to do it. And I think a lot of that is self-awareness and part of it is also understanding um, when other people are involved, your partner and shooting good partners too. So. No, that's, that's fascinating. What you shoot yourself in the foot with? Uh, 12 games. <laughs> Ouch. 12, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I almost did that. I I missed, but I almost did that. Laying out, You're lucky. laying out hunting for geese and um, yep. on my back, and I went to pick up the shotgun and was a little fast on the safety and um, yep. just shot right over my foot, but barely. Yeah, mine, uh, same scenario, raining, and I won't go into the whole story, but yeah, raining and a layout blind hunting for geese and uh, gun jammed, end up sticking the barrel in the blind to try to get it unjammed and hit the safety when I shouldered my gun, but the barrel was still in there when the block landed, and it was just the perfect storm of shit hitting the fan really quick, and I got really lucky there. It was just two toes. So. You, you lost them? Yeah, yep. Wow. Well, I, yeah, I wanted... They call me, yeah, they I got... call me Ocho, so... <laughs> I hadn't heard that. We got to talk about that another time because um, I, I have a toe that I got fused as a result of arthritis from overuse from training for marathons. And um, okay. I tried to get the doctor to cut it off because I had read all these stories about um, people losing the frostbite and I, I guess a couple of people shooting them off and how fast they recovered from it. And it, yeah. it was my big toe and he refused Mostly because of insurance reason to cut it off, but it's yeah. um, like dang. Well, I'm in my big toe, so I can tell you that it. Um, aside from side healing, I still run, I jump, I play basketball. And there's nothing that I can't do on it. Um, 
if you can say that though, I don't, I think I might recommend dating because man, like stubbing your toe without a <laughs> toe there <laughs> is like a thousand times worse than stubbing it with a toe there. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know. I got a big pin in mind that when I stub oh, it yeah. now, it just about goes through my entire body. Yeah, I kick a yeah. root when I'm out for a morning run. They told me I'd never run again, too, by the way. They yeah. said it's time to pick up some other activities, and I I continue to run. So it's uh, getting it fused wasn't the end of the world either. But, um, right. yeah, he, I, I made a deal with him and said, hey, if this doesn't work out, will you cut it off for free? And he said he would. So it has worked out. But, um, yeah. yeah, neat, neat story. I, I have to hear more about that later but um did you get into anything on these surveys about people's background i don't want to generalize but yeah. you know it's been my experience that for example just our we do field studies and we have people that are out for three months on end um in a small camp with very few people in a remote setting and there's certainly people with different backgrounds that do a lot better in that sure. than others and um yeah uh, how much of your mental state is shaped by your past experiences? Um, that's a, a good question. Um, I did, again, I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, but what two of the, or three of the variables that I included in the study um, were education, because my thought was like, well, the smarter, not smarter, more formally trained somebody is, the more aware they'll be. I, and I anticipated, I was, you know, in my head as a researcher, you're kind of like, I wonder if this is going to come up as statistically significant. So I looked at education, years in the field, um, which were self-report, and then also I looked at the um, uh, income level and what else for demographic variables um, and the weapon they used, and none of those were significant. Hmm. Um, so my, my thought would be, though, that um, it, and in hindsight, you know, something to look at would be if somebody was an uh, an athlete or in the military maybe or have performed physically at a, a or in a team setting um, that might be something interesting to look at if they're they're training that way um, to see if that impacts their their grittiness I would think that it would um, but I was surprised that educate neither education nor years hunting uh, has uh, impacted the uh, the grittiness of somebody so hmm. This is this is truly fascinating. Is there um, anything else you want to add to that? Um, I think the the one thing on the ethical decision making side of things. So we did like two re two regressions. One on your ability, your success to you know get an animal and look at different factors, and then the others were looking at emotional intelligence and how it impacts your ethical decision making in a bad country or while hunting. And the one thing that I found was really fascinating, and there's probably some use for this information in regards to hunter education was that people that identified their ethics coming from their own experience uh, also self-identified as making uh, worse, essentially, ethical decisions or being less ethical um, in, in their decisions. And so I think there's something to be said about having formal hunter education training, um, but also in regards to, like, your, in particular, self-awareness on your use and your regulation of emotion. And so that's something that I think is, is super relevant and something that could be applied in the, in the hunter education world is, is teaching people that while you're hunting, and like the goose hunting example, like shooting my foot is a prime example, you're, you're really wound up and birds are flying in and everything's moving really fast and like you need to be able to like remain calm in a situation or, you know, if a, a bear is, is close to you, whatever it is, or you see an animal walk through the woods and you, you're excited because you saw the size of the rack and you just decide to shoot. That's your ability to regulate your own emotions. Um, or, you know, you look at like, hey, I've had some horrible experiences with hunting partners in the field. Maybe that's your own use of emotion. Hmm. And so I think that we can all become better hunters if we understand, like, what is the, what is the impact that our own personality, i.e. use of emotion, regulation of emotion, plays on, um, you know, plays on our ethical decision making is while we're out in the field. So hmm. that's the last that's my last pitch. So no. So is there? Yeah. A, are we going to be able to provide some links to these type of resources, or is there things that we could reference that people could read about in more detail? Eventually, yes. So we're currently we have uh, two papers out that are being reviewed, um, and once they're published, hopefully within the next, I would hope like six months, 
to a year. Um, once they're published, they'll definitely have those those resources available to them. But we literally just finished uh, finished writing the data recently. So. Okay. No, good. We'll look yeah. forward to that then. Yeah. If anybody ever wants to talk talk about it or um, that sort of thing before before the results get published, I'm more than willing to talk to people or um, share some of the findings. Yeah, that'd be great. And, I, and again, encouraging listeners to participate in the comments section if you want to get a dialogue going about that. That would be great. Um, yeah. I, it sounds like we should expose people to a bear, um, potential bear attack beforehand and see how they re respond. <laughs> I would fail that test. I, I had my... safety training and it you know it's a cut out of a bear that they drag towards you and you have to shoot with a shotgun but despite having several uh, close calls in the field last year I had a, a real close call and um, I failed miserably despite all that training so it's uh, it ended up being fine but a bear tried to grab my dog and uh, um, oh my god yeah it, it was early in the morning we camped unbeknownst to us next to a gut pile that a grizzly was feeding on and it was down over this bank and it came up over and um i put one of my dogs away my larger male but my female was finishing up her breakfast and turned around the grizzly was trying to grab her and um kind of a long story short but it's uh yeah i didn't do the right things um and it worked out but yeah kind of the bears started chasing me and yeah it got right. interesting for a while so uh right it's amazing despite all that training and i've had quite a bit of it and a number of experiences with bears in a particular setting it those didn't apply i didn't have good right. i didn't have good judgment there and i was lucky um to be yeah. honest with you but um yeah, yeah so uh just to finish up, unless you have other stuff, I wanted to see if you had a, a, a concluding story of, of grit, um, just one you observed, or maybe I, I suspect you have quite a bit of grit, Peggy, not having hunted with you before, but just having talked with you over the last year, I suspect, um, you know, your background in sports and so forth. But I'm just curious if you could leave readers with a story. Yeah, I can leave with a, um, a gritty, gritty story. So my second year in Alaska, I ended up drawing a, a archery uh, moose tag, which was on foot only and um, quite a ways away from town. And so I spent a lot of time up in this area in the summer, um, probably, I don't know, uh, three different weekends, like kind of scouting the area, thinking where I was going to hunt and, and that sort of thing. And then once the season hit, which was September 1st to the 25th, I was just committed to, hey, I'm going to spend as much time up there as I can and, uh, you know, go up on the weekends and call and uh, all that sort of thing. But I was doing it alone. And so it was the first, uh, kind of my first, or not kind of, it was my first experience of hunting alone in Alaska, which I feel like you have the bear factor, the weather factor. Um, my favorite factor that I fear is the, the people factor, like the last thing I want to see out uh, while I'm hunting is another person that's not hunting because I just kind of question what they're what they're doing uh, at least in like certain areas right I mean like if tigers and stuff like that you can tell but um, that's a whole other another, another uh, I guess uh, bag of goodies I guess you could say but um, so I spent like four, not like I spent four weekends um, up in this area like I uh, totally you know weekend warrior where I'd leave on a Thursday night drive five or six hours uh, hunt, stay in the back of my truck. I'd hunt all day, every day for moose. And I saw, you know, quite a few cows and then I saw quite a few bears. And I was just kind of discouraged. And <laughs> I called and texted my brother like, man, I don't, uh, and this is after that 42 mile 
sheep hunt and 83 miles in a raft where I was just like, man, like Alaska is just here to kick your ass. Like that's what Alaska is here to do it to say, yeah, you like the outdoors, but let me show you why you shouldn't like the outdoors, uh, which is why I also love it. But I got, um, it was the last morning that I was going to hunt up there. And so it was September 22nd, which is a lucky day, by the way. So if anybody's a moose hunter, be out there on the 22nd. Uh, and I, um, I called in this really small, it, it turned cold that night. And so it's been pretty warm up until then. And for those of you listening, know that it starts to, your first frost or freeze, um, you can pretty much guarantee that the moose are going to turn on, I guess you could say, or at least that's my theory with it. And so um, that morning I called in a small bull and he totally winded me and smelled where I walked. And if I had a rifle, I could have easily shot him about 100 yards away, but um, there was no, he didn't really want anything to do with me. And uh, a couple of hours later, I ended up stepping over my boots in water. And so I was drying my feet out and um, ended up going going to this other spot. And I see this nice moose. He had to be in 43 inches. Um, and tried to kind of chase him down because he was walking along this mountain ridge. I saw him. I actually didn't call him in. And there was no way I was going to get to him. And so I ended up driving down the road. And uh, I was like, well, I'm going to go hunt in this other spot that I saw. And I saw him walking along the ridge. But, uh, he actually ended up going a different route than what I thought. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go try to get him again. And so I just took off running. Um, and I just stopped. And I'm like, I don't know where the hell he's at, but I'm going to start calling. And so I called and just I used these fake antlers and a, um, a shoulder blade. And so I called and then raked some brush and I heard him start to like grunt like the And I'm like, oh man, I just got super excited. Um, and he ended up, uh, I called him right in and showed, you know, I do the flash of the fake antler thing and he just got pissed like where he was essentially, you know, almost screaming at me. Uh, when he grunted and he came right into, uh, less than 30 yards and I ended up shooting him, shooting him through the long, double lunged him and he went about 10 yards, not even 10 or 15 yards and he dropped, uh, right there. And so it was, it was one of those, like, all of this paid off and, you know, four hours later and I had headed back to the Fairbanks, but it was, uh, it ended up being 11 hours later and I was headed back to Fairbanks and I was headed back to Fairbanks with a moose in my truck. So, um, that was, exciting and um, I think there's a lot to do for perseverance in that um, and grit and staying with it A because I love it but also because it was something that I just felt like I was trying to accomplish a goal and so that would be that and the other moral to that story is if you are out hunting and you meet some cool people uh, it's good to stay in touch with them because I they ended up, I met these two guys up there and they ended up helping me pack out my moves I cut up and cleaned the whole thing aside from maybe the last like 20 minutes of getting the tenderloins and stuff out, but two awesome guys from uh, Eagle River ended up, I wrote on the back of my truck, moose down with an arrow, and lo and behold, they saw my truck and ended up blocking and then finding me, which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's, uh, my, that was my first Alaskan moose, and it was super exciting, and um, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Definitely a story of perseverance. We now have on this podcast a recording of of Tony Hollis doing a cow call and Peggy Kuiper doing a, a moose, a male grunt, a bull grunt. Oh, yeah, so. but don't listen to my grunt. My theory is the reason bulls come in is they hear me and they're like, oh, that bull sounds like a sissy. Uh, <laughs> not my strength. So. <laughs> uh, interesting. No, but that was yeah. a good one. So, uh, yeah, and if you've never hunted moose before uh, and if you don't think this is great, the first reaction I always have when I walk up to a moose I've killed is, what the hell have I done? And yeah. and when I'm alone, that is amplified at really high levels because it's like, oh, my God, I have so much work here. And, um, you know, yeah. you being willing to go after it weekend after weekend and then stick with it to the 11th hour is just, again... Yeah, truly a measure of grit. So good for you. That's yeah. pretty neat story. I hadn't yeah. thought of the moose down um, on my tailgate. I'll have to employ that in the future, though. Yeah, yeah. The key is your truck has to be really dirty to pull it off. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Generally not a problem in Alaska. So uh, right. No. No. Yeah. So. No. Great stuff, Peggy. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time today. I'm. I'm uh, sure people are really going to enjoy this. And again, just want to 
encourage listeners to give us feedback, get a conversation going. If you have questions about this stuff, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll keep you posted on this hunting institute idea that we hope develops further and quickly. So uh, thanks. You got anything to finish with, Peggy? No, just thanks for thanks for listening and thanks for uh, Mark. Thanks for having me, and super look forward to our future endeavors in the hunting world. And um, you know, the more the merrier for people that want to get involved. So we welcome any feedback and any ideas. So yeah, well, thanks. Look forward to seeing you back in Fairbanks soon. Sounds good. All right. You've been listening to the Hunting Science Podcast. To find show notes on this episode and to leave comments and continue the conversation, visit our website at community.uif.edu slash hunting science.